These are exciting days for sheep production and for wool growing. The recent meetup forum in Longreach, Queensland, held by Meat and Livestock Australia and AWI's leading sheep network, was a great opportunity to hear from leaders in their field. And soon we'll hear from one Queensland wool grower who has a great outlook for the fibre and the potential wool scour in Blackhall. But the Meetup Forum also heard of the opportunity of internal rather than external investment for producers given the current uncertain economic climate. John Francis from Agrista Consultants gave a thought-provoking talk about how buying the place next door isn't always the best option. I caught up with John and started by asking just what his feedback from the forum was. Yeah, it's been great. It's been a really good social occasion as much as anything, but also some really good presenters and speakers, and uh, it's been a really engaging day. And from the uh, producers that you've been speaking to, what sort of uh, what have you picked up on in, in terms of what they're talking about up here and how they're travelling? Yeah, I think the, um, the fencing's obviously changed things around here and the landscape's changed. It's a bit dry at the moment and they're a bit uh, focused on that, but certainly... From a productivity perspective, they're uh, really positive. They can see the, the future looks bright and uh, commodity pricing's good. So um, yeah, it's a pretty positive outlook and they're really happy to have, uh, uh, have people, researchers here and others here to engage with them. So yeah, it's been a really positive experience. It's an incredible time in agriculture, particularly in animal agriculture. Um, there's a lot of uh, young people coming in there's a lot of debt going around, there's a lot of sums being done and there's a lot of uh, conversations on, around kitchen tables about expansion. You had a wonderful talk about rethinking capital expenditure and investment. Um, what did you talk about? Yeah, so I guess my presentation was really about internal growth rather than expanding the footprint. Look within and see what opportunities are within. Um, my view is that uh, you know it, we're probably getting to a stage where interest rates are rising and the landscape might be changing with those interest rate rises in terms of capital growth. Now, not everyone shares that view, which is fine. You need to take a view, work out what your view is. If your view is that capital growth is going to continue and you're quite comfortable with the margin between interest rates and and uh, the cash that's generated out of the business, then your options will be different relative to someone who thinks that capital gain is going to flatline and their growth might come from a different pathway. So I really talked about that different pathway today and that different pathway really was internal growth. So it's really about, well, what are the infrastructure changes that I can make or what are the, um, what are the things that I can do internally to drive productivity and then what's the marginal benefit of those changes and then that having a look at how that might add value uh, to the business. So in a livestock enterprise, uh, is that uh, possibly fencing, um, lot feeding, silos? Uh, what sort of things did you talk about? Yeah, so I really spoke here because infrastructure um, in this part of the world really has involved uh, exclusion fencing and exclusion fencing has been a real game changer for this part of the world and part of that um, benefit has come from production, uh, production, a lift in production as a result of um, removal of pest animal species and replacing those with really productive um, dry sheep equivalents or productive units. Obviously this is a wool, um, this is a wool podcast so what sort of internal investment can wool growers look at, not just uh, here in 
central Queensland, but yeah. across Australia. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of opportunity in that space around um, getting your soil fertility right. So investments in lime, investments in um, fertiliser, even though now it's not probably a great time for fertiliser, but certainly for lime. The thing about lime that I think is really interesting is that um, is that the production benefits, so when we look at the research that was done 30 years ago for our argument's sake, um, lime wasn't giving reasonable returns. Now the thing that's changed is the commodity prices are up, the margins are very good out of livestock, but the actual prices for lime haven't changed much, so the investment case changes. So I really think that the key message there is, look at what those some of those opportunities are, redo your numbers regularly because it could change but there's other things like it could be water infrastructure that opens up country that allows more productivity or on the flip side it could be a number of cost savings so there's any number of things you can do and I think a lot of the benefit at the moment really might come from a lot of labour saving investments so things like water monitoring in this rangelands environments or it could be um, feeding infrastructure and those sorts of things. Now Young people, dare I say young, how old do I sound saying that? But there'll be people listening to this who go, oh, John, yeah, OK, but it's, it, it's, it's not as exciting as buying the place next door. It's not as exciting as expanding uh, land. But... <coughs> like... <laughs> There's a lot of friendly flies up here. Um, That'll sound know, authentic. That's right, I know. We're definitely hearing long range. So, uh, yeah, expanding the operation through purchasing land... Um, is very expensive at the moment and has has looked attractive at lower interest rates. But is this uh, line of thought coming because you see headwinds? Well, I guess, uh, look, it's always been an option uh, and, um, and internal growth is always provided value, but it really depends on whether the market values the lift in production. So, for example, if I take a 12,000 DSE property and turn it into a 14,000 DSE property from something that might be either adding lime or exclu- an exclusion fence that, um, you know, where I my grazing pressure from um, feral pest animals is replaced with productive animals, then if the market values the additional, say, 2,000 DSEs that I've put on, then actually you've got a pretty good investment. So it's not just, sure, that doesn't provide cash flow, it adds value from a capital value perspective. Now, what does that do? Well, that allows you to go and leverage again, go and borrow money, assuming interest rates are right, and go and expand again. Now, that might be the next, um, that might be the next capital thing, or it could be something internally, um, it, it, it could be anywhere else that you need to invest to generate some value out of your business. Are you concerned that there are, there's a generation of young growers now that haven't seen high interest rates and their attitude to risk is dangerous? Yeah, look, I don't know whether it's dangerous. I think that's an individual sort of thing. But certainly, you know, if if I get into a room and I ask people what's the highest interest rate you've you've experienced in your tenure, you tend to have this polarity. You've got the a generation who, who will say, well, I've experienced 20%, and you've got a generation who may not have experienced above 5%. Now, clearly, um, those people that have experienced 20 are probably more cautious as a function of having experienced that, and the people who haven't experienced five are probably more gung-ho as a, as a function of not having experienced anything more than that. So I think it does frame the expectations, but I do think um, now is a time for caution, and I don't mean don't invest. I really mean 
know your business, really understand and run those scenarios and think, well, what's the probability of this outcome? Because if interest rates you know, move beyond five um, and my return is below that, then that's a cash flow negative generator. And you really need to know what the implications of that are across the whole business. Now, there might be other parts of the business that can support that, and that may be okay because you think capital gain will be worth it, but you really have to understand these different components of your business to make sure that you're making a sound investment decision. And do it on 5% interest, not 3% interest? Or well, what, what's th- your advice there? <laughs> yeah, I think, again, um, if interest rates now are 3%, then, of course, the first thing the bank will do anyway is is actually run a scenarios with with higher margin, uh, with higher interest rates. So I think you've got to be sensible about it, which means to me, I'm always sensitising it to two, even more than two at the moment, because there's macro factors that seem to be, you know, you look at long-term money now, it's gone from three only a couple of months ago to 5% now, which says to me the market's pricing in these interest rate increases. So I'm being relatively conservative, but it's at... at the end of, of the analysis, you've got to make that decision and you've got to be confident as the person investing. But you did something very, very cleverly in your presentation about um, getting as much information about the decision as possible. And uh, you did that in a very clever way. So gaining as much information before you make that decision, it sounds a really obvious thing to say, but that's one of that's one of your key points. Yeah. So I guess this investment in um, in financial literacy is really important from an industry perspective. You know, there's a lot of businesses that, with millions of dollars worth of assets under management, that really don't understand the business they're in and and how to assess their own businesses. And I think um, we've got a role to play as as advisors, and the industry has a role to play in supporting. Um, good business decisions. So I think, you know, it, it is back to um, back to the school books a little bit, and I'm trying to learn ways to do that in a simplistic manner that allows people to really understand their, the, their numbers without getting too detailed and too complex. And I think that's the challenge, because as soon as people sit down, they're really comfortable operationally, a lot of people, but they're not so comfortable with the business side. And I think you know, we've got to have as much comfort with the business side as we do with the operations of the business. So before you go and ask for another $5 million, think about possibly buying stock or something internally or looking at a lease nearby. Just look at the other options. Look at the opportunity costs. Look, that's a brilliant message. You know, you never stop at one. Some I often see people say, yes, well, this, this was our outcome. And I said, well, what else did you look at? Well, nothing. Well, yes, that... that outcome you looked at was better than the status quo but there could have been five other things that were better than that again and didn't even get a look look in and they might have been lower risk you know so look at them all all right well that's um very clear message how could people get more information about this uh look i think the industry channels are, are really clear there's a lot of um, promotion of uh, a number of places where you can seek um business type information so AWI have got a number, um, MLA have got a number, there's plenty of consultants that have got this sort of um, desire to drive 
profitability and financial literacy in the industry. So make contact and um, yeah, we just want to see improvements in profitability and in wealth creation and in and 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 don't forget too. If you're financially sustainable, you're going to be environmentally sustainable and you're going to tick all those other boxes as well. So it's a really good story. It is. Well, um, John Francis from Agrista, thank you for your presentation at Meetup. Lovely to meet you and um, all the best. Thanks for your time. John Francis from Agrista Consultants there. So AWI and the Queensland Government have invested heavily over a long time in wild dog management. It's an issue that has plagued the industry, but an investment that has made a huge difference. $700,000 was actually invested last year alone in Queensland and Victoria. But from that issue, the wool industry in Queensland, like many areas, now faces a shortage of shearers and shed hands, and to that end, there's actually three shearer training schools being held in late June and July in Bark Alden and Quilpie. But in the meantime, I caught up with the Mayor of Black Alden, wool grower Andrew Martin, who told me in the middle of a noisy main street of Longreach about his love of growing wool and its profitability. My great-grandfather rode in from Benalla in Victoria, rode into the Tambo district in 1884 and took up a little tiny piece of dirt there and... And, the, and, and away we went. Uh, we've been growing wool for since about 86, I suppose, when he got his first lot of sheep started. We've had a merino stud on and off for, for a fair bit of that time. Um, we've still got 10,000 or so uh, merinos down at Tambo and, and loving it. We, uh, you know, I've been tempted and I've tried, I suppose, a bit of crossbreeding here and there just for the fun of it. And I've tried. We've got cattle in that mix. We need cattle on this open downs country. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a biological mix, if you like, uh, for grass control and, and a few other odds and sods, and they're not too hard on the bank account just at the moment. But in general, growing wool, on average, certainly since the, well, the early 1970s, on average, growing wool returns about four times more per acre on my place than any other enterprise, whether it's net or gross. It's four times more profitable to grow wool. So there's where we are. Before we get to shearer training, which is the pressing issue, yeah, let's talk about dogs. So you've you've had big issues here before, and 10 years ago it was dogs. Where does that issue stand now after such an enormous effort by so many people around exclusion, fencing, baiting, trapping, what have you? But it's uh, it's been a, an incredible success story. It has, and has, and all credit to the, the government really for picking up the mantle of what I call inclusion fences because you can include positive economic outcomes with environmental outcomes that are positive as well. Uh, the, the, the state government probably subsidises and it's the best investment I've seen a state government make for a long time. Uh, they subsidise about 25% of the cost of these inclusion fences. My place, we were killing, and those are only the ones we got, we were killing 130 to 140 dogs a year. Wow. You could probably multiply that by three because it's normal if you see one pig, you guarantee you've got at least three. Um, and we had pigs as well. But we were doing it. I was down to 7% lambing. I had donkeys, I had rammers, I had alpacas. Donkeys, the most successful of the lot, I have to say, and I've still got a couple. Um, um, when we closed off our section of 35 kilometres of fence, I went to 80% lambing. 
and we've got two dogs in the ensuing 12 months. Go figure. And No pigs. Yeah. Haven't had a pig since 2014. Yeah, since 2014, haven't had a pig. We've had I don't know, 15 or 20 dogs. We've got a breach in the fence every now and then, a bull will knock it over or a flood or, a, you know. But that's all right. At least we know we've got them and we know where they are. And I, I can sometimes spot a dog. We know that we've got a dog and within a day I've got it done because it can't get out. So you've overcome that mm. and uh, I presume you're also in control of your own country for the first time ever. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Because it's increased our wool production in Queensland by 36%. I see in the last uh, AWI missive. Um, a lot of that's due to season, but a bloody lot of it's due to the fences. So, a major crisis has been dealt with, and now let's move to the current one. <laughs> yes, it is, and it's not because we love a good catastrophe, it's just because they, you know, it happens. And, and I think, uh, look, there are a whole heap of things. Perception is one of the things, and perceptions are easily enough dispelled if you do it the right way. But COVID has had, closing the borders, has had catastrophic effect, um, particularly for shearers from across the ditch. And when those borders open up again, I think, I think uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the problems will be in part alleviated. Uh, but the long game is, we've taken our eye off the ball for training shearers. I'm happy to pay a shearer four bucks a sheep, not a problem. A bit better if it's tough going. Um, it's, it, it's not about it's not about um, it's not about the cost. It's about the availability of the shearer. Uh, we're all happy to pay. We're all happy to pay good wages for a good day's work. But we're not training. We're not training enough shearers. We're not. We're just not doing it. We're not doing it here. We're not doing it where you come from. We're not doing it in South Australia, Western Australia. It's just not happening. And I think the long game is to start in these bush schools. We, we always talk about retaining workforce and keeping having kids come back to the bush and, you know, 800 bucks a day is not bad money. It is. We, you say um, we're not training enough. 1,700 were trained in the last 12 months. Not enough in Queensland, clearly, but is this about training or is it about retention and how much of it is about culture, how much of it is about attractiveness of the industry, how much of it is about infrastructure in Woolsheds? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's a big thing and, and I'm... Guilty enough. I've got a set of shoes quarters that I spend a fair bit of time keeping up, but I've got to do better. Uh, I've never had a shearer, so I'm not shearing here. This is terrible. I've got very good facilities in general, but it's a hundred-year-old set of quarters, and I need to upgrade it. I, I admit that quite openly. But I don't have trouble with shearers personally, because we've got a local team and we we get our ten thousand sheep shorn. Um, uh, culture, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to apportion. A percentage to any of those issues. Um, 1,700 retaining them. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what that's about. Whether that was COVID, and I don't know how many of the 1,700 were learners per se, or, or advanced, or how many were retained in the industry infrastructure, or was covered up. I, and I admit that we've got to do better. So, other than more training and retaining, where do you see the answer? Oh, somewhere in between the two, I suppose. Um, the long game is demystifying. It is hard work, but there's, I don't know of any job that if you're going to be successful and make a quit out of it, that's not hard work. Whether it's hard physical or hard mental or hard both, I, 
if you're going to succeed, you're going to have to put in. It's, and, it's yeah. pretty simple. Are you optimistic that this can be yeah. solved, Andrew? Optimism is the wool grower's second name. Work permits and, and those sorts of things. But really, we've got all the talent, we've got all the ability, we've got a whole heap of understanding and a whole heap of kids right here. It's not just the shearing industry, if you really want to look around. I'm involved in tourism and local government and all sorts of things. I don't know anyone that hasn't got a labour shortage issue and housing them as part of it. Tourism, God, I think there's 3,000 jobs going begging in outback Queensland. 3,000. Amazing. So it's, it's, not a, it's not just the shearing industry. So leading sheep is uh, AWI and Queensland Government collaboration and our extension program in Queensland. Don Perkins, who uh, unfortunately I, I, we couldn't catch up with this morning, uh, has been at the centre of this in the chair for a, a very long time. What's your involvement with leading sheep and how are they doing a good job and how yes. can it improve? Yeah, they are doing a, a good job and, 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 and they're constantly improving and um, I, I think it's fantastically successful. I've had pretty big involvement in shearer training schools at my place in the past um, and we, we've offered you know, uh, sheep for trials and we've offered all sorts of things in the wool industry. We're so that leads us nicely into the Black Oil Wool Scour. This is something that we've read about and heard about. Uh, tell us about where it's at and what's, what's happening. So we decided that we, we have, we've got a historical old steam-driven wool scour in Black Oil, which is an enormously beautiful old beastie. It's just magnificent and it's quite popular and we're looking at it. So anyway, long story short, we thought, oh, well, why don't we look at a little boutique wool scouring? Why don't we look a little wool scour, right? And, and Red Ridge, which is another one of our not-for-profit organisations out here, we might sell some black oil blankets or, you know, little boutique fashion thing and maybe a little mill beside it. So we commissioned a study. We put a fair bit of money towards it. AEC did the study. And the bigger we got, the more excited we became because the little boutique thing, nah. Fully blown, fibre to fabric woolen mill using the best technology was going to give a 12% return on capital investment, or internal rate of return, for a $200 million spend, which incidentally, to a number of financiers that we're talking to right now, is too small. So we said, OK, we'll build five. There's a billion. What do you reckon? Uh, Awfully excited. The timing for this thing is just extraordinary. So fully blown woolen mill, fibre to fabric, and send it off to wherever for dyeing and making up and whatnot. So uh, we're, we're now in the throes of a technical study. We've formed a little uh, um, uh, public company limited by guarantee called QWool, uh, Queensland Wool Processors, QWool.com. So we, we've appointed, you know, some pretty notable people and, and myself being the mayor and, and an ex-Wool Corporation chairman, Mac Drysdale, are advisors to the board. Uh, John Abbott AM is the chair. Uh, and so we're now halfway or more than halfway through the technical feasibility. We're looking for offtake partners. We've been absolutely blown away by the international interest in firstly just scouring. We were predicated our study on about 10 million kilograms. We've got one country looking at 15 million kilograms scouring alone. We've got another lot looking at uh, cotton wool blend, fibre to fabric. We've got another country just screaming to get a look at, at what we're doing. They want to come and have a look at the site. We've got hot artesian water in Blackhall. We're halfway between 
here and there. Darwin, Gladstone, we're on the main highway. Plenty of room, plenty of land. Not a lot of wool around us, but there's not much wool around St Petersburg or Wuhan either. So uh, we'd be we'd be contract contract spinning and weaving, contract scouring. We'd be doing our own, perhaps. Um, that depends on how the IPO turns out. And how do you see this potentially being a catalyst for an industry that really helped build Queensland? Two catalysts. Uh, it'll probably, with the number of jobs we're looking at, and that's a bit indeterminate at the moment, but the initial fees looked at 270 new jobs in Blackhall. If they bring their family with them, that'll double the population of Blackhall Tambo Regional Council area. The most important part of the whole thing is that we'll, it has the potential to show Australia that it can be in control of its own destiny, yet again. Even if we had the, the, um, the New South Wales and Victorian wool production figures here in Queensland, we'd still have to buy a wool, some wool from somewhere else, because a 19 micron top, as you would know, uh, contains uh, the least amount of wool in a 19 micron top is 19 micron wool. So you've got to get, you've got to get all these Blended, different. Yeah. yeah, you've got to to get all the blending. And if you're going to throw cotton into the mix, which is, you know, we've got people. We're talking to people about cotton um, blending. Um, it's logistically, it's we're 14 hours from Brisbane, we're 18 hours from Parks, we're, and the wool. We're not going to take the wool direct from the farm. Uh, in most cases, we'll have to buy those bits and pieces. To fit the description of the wool that we're that we're processing in the plant, so logistically, it's almost perfect. And has been done before. Yes. Yeah. Well, look at the old historical wool scour in Blackall. Exactly. They so. only closed down in the 70s. Right. So history may well be uh, may well be repeating. And we've got control of our own wretched destiny. Andrew Martin, um, thank you very much for joining us today, and all the very best on all the fronts. There's plenty of them. Thank you. It's an exciting time to be in agriculture. It certainly as you, is, yeah. as you well know. Um, yeah. And I'm really delighted that you've come up here and and actually seen for yourself the centre of the universe. Blackhall Mayor Andrew Martin there, and just for the record, the Queensland State Sheep Show is being held in Cunnamulla on the 20th and the 21st of May. AWI Chairman Jock Laurie will be there, as well as AWI Stuart Hodgson, who will be doing the junior judging. A great chance to catch up with them. But as mentioned, there's two novice and one improver shearing school that is being held in late June and July in Barcaldon and in Quilpie in Queensland. Head to wool.com for more on that and all shearing schools. And the meetup forums are being held in Narracourt, Northam, Wagga and Casino throughout 2022. So I hope you've got something from this Queensland-flavoured edition of the podcast. But from me, Murray is coming. Thanks for having a yarn with us. <laughs>